Um, some of you may remember that old song, and it may be playing through your head right now. Uh, Pastor Adam said if we don't play that, we've missed an opportunity. So we have missed an opportunity, okay? We're not playing that this morning, <laughs> all right? Uh, but uh, you can go Spotify it if you want to. Um, no, uh, we're, we're starting a series that's going to lead us up to Easter called Walk This Way um, because we want to focus, we've been in the, in the Old Testament uh, for our last series called Sequence, and we looked at how we could see Jesus in the Old Testament. Now we want to move to the New Testament, and we want to move to the life of Christ and, and look at stories about how Jesus walked and how he invites us to walk with him and to walk this way, to walk this path, to walk this journey with him so that uh, we know that we are not alone. Um, and, and this morning, uh, I want us to start in Matthew. Matthew chapter 3 is where we're going. Now, I want to tell you uh, about a 19-year-old man by the name of Aldi. Aldi was, uh, was working on a basically a fishing hut uh, off the coast of the Philippines, and um, this fishing hut, he, he spent about six months out of the year out there on this fishing hut. And so once a week, someone would come out and they would bring him supplies. They would bring him what he needed. He had a little stove. He had a little generator, you know. And, and so he would, what he would do at night is uh, on this fishing hut is that he would light up lights. And the lights would attract fish. And so that's how they would be able to catch fish. And so his employer would come get the fish and uh, say, all right, Aldi, we'll see you, see you later. Here's, here's some more supplies. Well, Aldi was uh, asleep one night, and his rope uh, that was tethering him to his anchor snapped, and he did not know it. And his fishing hut began to drift. And he drifted uh, out into the open ocean, and he drifted for 40 nine days on this fishing hut. He drifted all the way from the Philippines to almost Guam, which is about 2,000 miles is, is what I'm told. And uh, it's, it, it, he saw all these ships that would pass, and he would try to flag them down. But he's just this little fishing hut out on the wide ocean, and it's like he's, he's lost. He's, he's just a speck out there. And so all these cargo ships would pass, but they never would see him. And he, he said that while he was out there just kind of adrift on the ocean, um, that he would, um, he would begin to sing Christian songs to himself. And he had a, a Bible with him, and he would begin to read Scripture. And he said he would have moments, you know, that he would just be hopeful, and then he would have moments of great despair. And he, he would feel like, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't know that I'm going to make it out of this situation. Um, and then on the 49th day that he was out there adrift, a cargo ship does come by and sees him, and he actually has this little radio. He's able to radio over to them uh, to, to, to pick, get them to pick up. And they, they actually hear him and are able to make about four passes by to throw him a life preserver to pull him on board. And they took him to Japan. Finally, he made his way back to, to he's 19. Can you imagine at 19, uh, you know, what that would be like to uh, just be out there adrift at sea? Um, I don't even, my son's 17. I don't even like to think about him going down the road to Publix, you know, by himself sometimes, you know. Uh, I, I've seen how people drive around here. 
Um, but, but you think about it. You think about everything. And you think about just him being on this raft, and he's surrounded by water. And he's, he's surrounded by so much life because you think about everything that's in the water. It's, it's teeming with life, right? The, the, the sea is full of life, fish. It's, it's why he was out there in the first place because there's all these fish out there. They're alive, and he's, he's, that's what his job was to catch fish because it's teeming with life, but it's also, it has death there. It's, it's, it's filled with death, and it's filled with danger, and it's filled with, with crises, and, um, and he's kind of stuck in between the two. He's kind of stuck in between this place of life and death, and I don't think that's too much different than what we're going to talk about this morning uh, with Jesus, and I want us to go to Matthew chapter 3. Um, with Audi, he was surrounded by water, and uh, Jesus starts his ministry out also surrounded by water. Jesus steps in to the water, and this is right before he really launches out into his ministry uh, that, that God has called him to. And I want us to read this story, so let's go to Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Matthew chapter 3, beginning verse 13, and this is what it says. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan. Notice that. Where was he at? He went from Galilee to where? Jordan, to the Jordan River. So he came from Galilee to the Jordan, to John. Who is John? John is Jesus' cousin, right? And John has uh, basically marked himself as kind of this, this, this forerunner. He is saying, listen, I am, I am not the Messiah, but I am the one who is calling out before he comes. And so John, he go, Jesus goes to see John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. And, and if Jesus were to step in here today and were to say, hey, Ryan, I want you to baptize me, uh, I would probably like, yeah, this, this just doesn't feel right, Jesus. You know, this, I mean, it does, does that not seem like it should be the other way around, right? And this is exactly the experience that John has. In, John four, uh, in verse 14, John uh, would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do, and, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us. Uh, to fulfill all righteousness. He says, listen, this has got to happen now. This needs to happen. This is right, the right time for this to happen, John. And, and he goes on and he says, this is, uh, this is fulfilling of righteousness, of all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him and behold a voice from heaven said this is my beloved son with whom i am well pleased now those words right there this is my beloved son with whom i am well pleased uh these are harken back to something that god had already said that first uh phrase right there uh this is my beloved son if you go read psalm chapter 2 you will see god saying the same thing there talking about his beloved son if you go read isaiah i think it's isaiah 43 the last part of this where he's talking about with whom i am well pleased who has who has who has is well who has done well who has delighted in me so uh we see here that w- 
we can't disconnect from this Old Testament tether, right? Uh, we need both. If we're, we're, we're thinking back to what we talked about the last three weeks, we need the whole Bible to make whole Christians. I still want to reiterate that. But we come to this story, and Jesus is starting his ministry. He's starting his ministry surrounded by water. Now, when we talk about baptism, what is this idea of baptism? Why is baptism? We, we kind of, if you've grown up in church, um, it may seem like, well, that's just something we do in church, right? Uh, how many of you've grown up just kind of knowing what baptism is? Just kind of in, even in a, if you don't know all the theology behind it, you kind of know. I've seen people baptized. Maybe I've been baptized myself, you know, and it's, it's a little bit, um, it, it's a little bit strange if you think about it because, uh, if you just saw somebody take someone else and put them under the water, you might would, if you didn't have any context surrounding that, you might would say, they're trying to drown this person, I need to call 911, right? I mean, think about it. I mean, where did this come from? If it, did, did John just pull this whole idea of baptism out of thin air? Because if you're looking at the principle of first, and you ask, where's the first place that we see baptism, that this word baptism come about in the Bible? Well, the first place that we see it uh, is, is here in Matthew. And you can see just a few places up that John was out baptizing disciples. Um, and this is the first place, Matthew chapter 3, that we see this word baptism in the New Testament. But... This is not the first place in Scripture that we see this idea of immersion, all right? And, and that's really what bab baptism means. It means to be immersed, right? It means to uh, be immersed and, and to be surrounded by water on every side, okay? And Jesus thinks that it's important to step in to the Jordan River with John to have John baptize him. So what is Jesus doing here? Well, I, I, want to, I want to give you a little bit of background because um, although this is the first place that we see the, uh, the word baptism, this is not the first place that we see the idea of immersion. We see the idea of immersion all throughout uh, Scripture, all, actually all throughout the Old Testament. And if you can go all the way back to the book of Genesis, you'll see that. Um, in Jewish culture, they have this thing uh, that's called a mikvah. Anybody ever heard of a mikvah? All right, mikvah basically is like a pool. It's, it is a pool uh, roughly about 150 gallons, and you want to know how much our baptistry holds? It would hold roughly 150 gallons, right? It's, 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 it's roughly the same, all right? This is, this is, um, this is uh, a mikvah is a pool that you're going to find. Um, and people in Jewish culture will be ritually washed. They will do this more than one time. They will go into the water, and it is an experience for them where it's a purity thing. That's, listen, I, I, I need just kind of a, this, this idea of starting over. You know what? These monumental times in life, they might would go and commemorate it in the mikvah where they would go in and they would wash, immerse themselves, and come back up. And this idea that, okay, it's kind of this new. I've come through the waters. I've passed through the waters. What was in the past is in the past. Now I'm moving forward. Okay, so, so this is not, John is not just pulling something out of thin air, right? Jesus isn't just inventing something brand new here in Matthew. This is something that Jewish people know about. It's something that they would have seen. It's something that is part of their culture. They have pools all over the place. And in and, and, and archaeology, they're finding pools in people's homes and places where they would have these mikvahs put in. 
So this word mikvah, uh, the word mikvah shares the same root as the Hebrew word for hope. So mikvah basically means collection or a gathering. A gathering of what? A gathering of water, okay? Um, but then you have this term tikvah. Tikvah means hope. And so why is that uh, important? Well, I want us to go to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17 and 3. And this is what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17 and 3. It says, O Lord, the hope of Israel. Do you see that? O Lord, the hope. There's a play on words here that even God is called our, basically our mikvah. That God is our hope. This idea of baptism is hope. This idea of passing through the waters is hope. This idea that you've gone in one thing and you're coming out something else. There is a hopefulness in that. It says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. What is this, this word for shame in the Hebrew? It means to be dried up. And what it's saying is this. It said, all those who don't know you, they're not passing through the water. They're not passing through the hope, right? It says that, that if you're not passing through the water, if you're not passing through the hope, you're going to dry up. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. What does that mean? There's dust. When, so, when you try to write on the ground when it's dusty. Anybody ever written on your car when, but after you haven't washed it in like, you know, a long time, 100 days or so, you know, somebody comes up, says, wash me, you know, right? What are you doing? You're riding in the earth. You're riding in the dust. And it says, those who turn away from you, away from, away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord. What? The fountain of what? Living water. Does anybody know who else used this term, living water? Jesus, there you go. You get a gold scar at the star this morning, right? Not a gold scar. That would be something different, all right? Uh, and, and so, yeah, Jesus says, I'm living water. He uses this term about himself. And so we, we see these kind of these stories. These, they're, they're playing back and forth. Um, so Jeremiah is, is saying, hey, God is our hope. He calls God even a mikvah, all right? And so this, this idea of, of baptism is really as old as is as old as dirt uh if you go to genesis chapter 1 verse uh, 10 can you put that up there genesis chapter 1 verse 10 and it says god called the the dry land earth eretz uh and the waters that were gathered what is what is the term mikvah what does it mean it means to collect or to gather right this is that word this is that word mikvah. So mikvah is as old as dirt, right? Uh, God separates the land from the sea. He says God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that this was good. This is a good thing, God says. It is a good thing, this idea of mikvah. So why is this important? Because with Jesus it's important. What does Jesus do? Jesus says it's important for me to do this. Because I am signifying something happening. I am telling you that I am a continuation of the story that we have been on, we've been tracking with. I am a continuation of the Hebrew Scriptures. We see this in Genesis. In Genesis, we see in Genesis chapter 1, and I, I, Laura didn't give you all these Scriptures, so don't go, don't go looking for these. I'm going to run through these real, real quick because we're running out of time. 
In Genesis chapter 1, even before verse 10, you can go look in verse 1, and it, and it talks about uh, that God speaks. Uh, he says, let there be light. And so before he says this, um, it says that, that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We see this idea of water again. We see this idea that the, this pre-created, this pre uh, before God brings life to the planet, that there's this water, and, and, and the Spirit of God is hovering over it. And what does God do? God begins to speak into the water, and things begin to happen. And so at one point, this earth is not suitable for life to flourish until God begins to speak, until God begins to move. And what happens is God begins to move into the waters that are here and creates a place and a space for life to come forth. So we see it in the very outset of Genesis that creation uh, comes out of the chaotic waters. And it's called, there's this thing called tohu vavohu, all right? And basically it means this chaotic thing that's going on. That's what's happening. That is what's there. Tohu vavohu is the wild and waste. It is, it is this where life can't, can't, can't be sustained and God steps into it and begins to speak into the tohu vavohu and says, I want life to come forth. I want life to spring forth and I want this planet to be a place where life can flourish. And so he is creating a place where life can be sustained. If you go to Noah later on, in the book of Genesis, about uh, after Genesis chapter 11 and the following chapters, you'll begin to see, uh, or before that, um, before Genesis chapter 11, uh, you'll begin to see the story of Noah, where Noah is told to build an ark. Build an ark, because why? God's going to make it rain. And what does he say? If you go read the story, go read the story, and what happens? It doesn't just rain a little bit. Like, oh, hey, we got some rain today. No, the Bible says this, that the depths of the earth burst open. So it's not just falling from uh, uh, above. It is bursting forth from beneath, too. Everything is erupting around these people who are not in the ark, or even, even the people on the ark. Everything is erupting around them, and it becomes chaotic again. And what is that? It is a picture that God is taking creation and it is becoming decreated. He says, listen, if you want to live in rebellion, this is what rebellion looks like. I'm going to take my hands off, off this place. I'm going to step back. And this is what rebellion looks like. If, you're going to, if you want to walk on your own, this is what walking on your own looks like. And everything that God created, it begins to devolve back to the way that it was before. And the world is in a deluge. It is surrounded with water. And then God takes Noah and his family, brings them through the water. They have to pass through the water, and God starts over again. It's almost like this new humanity with Noah, humanity 2.0, right? God's restarting things. So Genesis, we see the water. In, uh, in, in Noah's story, we see the water. In Moses' story, we see the water. You guys should know this one, right? You remember Moses, Charlton Heston, 
up there with the Ten Commandments. Y'all remember Charlie? Okay. So, so Moses, where does he take the children of Israel through? He brings them out of Egypt, and he takes them to this place. He takes them to the sea, the Red Sea, and they're like, well, we're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Basically, we're stuck between the mountains, and we're stuck between the sea, and we got Pharaoh behind us with his army. And so this is not a good situation. And what does God do? It says God causes a wind to blow. Remember, wind, uh, when it, wind is that term ruach. It is, it is this idea of breath, or it is also this idea of spirit. And God causes the wind to blow, and what happens? The waters begin to part. And what do they do? The children of Israel walk from slavery out of Egypt into this new identity that God is bringing them to as a new nation, a new people. And so we see that they have to pass through the waters. You go to Joshua. Joshua happens the same thing. Joshua, after Moses is, is dead, Joshua, it's Joshua's uh, job to take the children of Israel where? Into where? The promised land, right? Moses was not going to be allowed to do it. And so, Joshua, you got to take, I've got a promise for my people. I want you to take my people into the promised land. You know what they've got to do before they enter the promised land? They've got to pass through some water. Where do they pass through the water? Do you know what water they pass through? This is really cool because the water that they pass through is the Jordan River. Who, who went and got baptized in the Jordan River when we started this story? Jesus. And so we're back at the same place. The same place many, 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 many years uh, uh, before where, where God is taking his people and they, uh, the priests are carrying the ark. But this time... God says, I want you to go ahead and step into the river. And, and the priests actually have to go in and they have to step into the river. They have to get ankle deep. They have to get knee deep. They actually have to get wet this time, right? And what happens that when God leads them into this place, that the waters are piled up. And you see them able to move through this, this point, they can move from where they're at. They had to pass through the waters to move into their promise. And this is a depiction of what Jesus is saying. And even in Isaiah, even in the book of Isaiah, this Old Testament prophet, Isaiah talks about the exile of God's people. Remember, they were exiled out of the land. They were sent. They were scattered to the, to the four corners of the earth for about 70 years. And God says, I'm going to bring you back. And I, you know what Isaiah said about this exile? Isaiah says about this exile, he says, it's like we have to pass through the waters again. Because what God wants to do, the exile, is us passing through the, the Red Sea again. Uh, the exile is us passing through the Jordan River again. Because what God is doing is he's calling us back to himself to make something new. What we find is this. What we find is this. And I've told you this last week. And I'm about, to, I'm about to wrap up here. So, Pastor Trent, you can come, you can come play. Second Chronicles, because in, in the Hebrew Scriptures, in, in the original Hebrew Scriptures, Chronicles was one book, okay? And it was the last book of the Bible, all right? I know you look at the table of contents and you say, well, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. And I know I get that. It's in our, and this is how it's ordered in the Protestant version, but originally with uh, Hebrew scriptures, this is how it is in Orthodox Jewish, um, in, in Orthodox Jewish scriptures that Chronicles is the last book in the Old Testament. And the last chapter of the last book and the last sentence of the last chapter of the last book 
of the Old Testament, this is what it says. And there's this king of Persia. He says, you know what? I'm going to let God's people go. And, I'm, I'm, and you can go back to your land, and you can go back to the land, and you can go back and build your temple. And this is, this is what it says, the last sentence. You can go read it. You can go read it for yourself. I'm reading this out of the uh, complete Jewish Bible. This is how it's worded there. Whoever there is among you, of all of his people, may Adonai, that's the Lord, may Adonai, his God, be with him, that he may go up. And it's an incomplete sentence. It's just like a dot, dot, dot. That's how the Old Testament ends. It doesn't even end in a period, right? It's just incomplete. Why is it incomplete? Somebody didn't finish the story. You know why? Because the story's not finished. Then this guy steps on the scene. He steps on the scene later on in history, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus says, listen, I'm going to retell the story of Israel with my life. I'm going to retell the story of Israel with my actions. And what Jesus is saying is this. Basically, Jesus is giving us pictures of the past, but he's giving us a pattern for the future. Jesus has given us pictures of what has happened in the past, but he's saying, listen, it's a pattern for what's going to happen in the future because you may have to go through the waters. And some of you know what that's like. Some of you know what it's like to be surrounded by waters on all sides. It seems like everything is pressing in, and it's pressing in on every side around you. But I want you to know this, that even though it may seem like it's pressing in on every side around you, God always brings his children through the water. God always brings his children through the water. And so I might be surrounded by water, but I'm just passing through to something better. That's what you need to know. I might be surrounded by water on all sides, but I'm just passing through to something better. Amen. How many of you this morning, you just need to know, I'm just passing through right now to something better. I know right now, I look around me and it seems like there's death and there's darkness, there's chaos, there's all this stuff. But you know what? I'm just passing through because God's got something better for me. Because remember, who is God described as? God says, I am your mikvah. And what is mikvah? It's that, that play on words. God says, I am your hope. I am your hope. There's so many things we can hope in, guys, that will let us down. There's so many, there, there may be people that you've relied on and they have let you down. That's, you know what? You may rely on me. And as, and as, as much as I love you and as, and as hopefully as, as good as I think I am, I'm probably going to let you down at some point. I've definitely been a disappointment in life at times, right? Don't laugh because you have to at times, right? I'm sure you've disappointed somebody too. The great thing about this is God says, I'm your hope. And Jesus is replaying the story. Jesus is showing the pictures of the past, but he's saying it's a pattern for the future because I am your hope. I'm going to take you through the water. I'm going to take you to something new. And maybe this morning you're just saying, know what this new looks like for me but I'm I'm going to trust God for the new this morning anybody maybe that's you maybe that's you and you just say I'm, this morning I'm going to trust God for the new and that's difficult because you don't know what new looks like that's difficult because you don't know exactly what to expect you don't know exactly what's around the corner it's okay because God does it's okay because God understands God's already there we can trust God with our future. We can trust God with our steps because we can put our hope in Him. I want you to stand with me.
Pastor Trent's going to lead us in the song. I just want you to sing this for a few minutes. I'm going to come back and I'm going to pray for you.